Tonight, if you would, and turn with me to the book of Jonah, Jonah in the word of God, as you're turning all the children four years old up through third grade may be dismissed. You can follow Mr. Drew and Miss Amber out the back door for children's Bible time. Hope you'll pray for Drew's oldest daughter, Amelia. She's not feeling too well. Kind of got a fever coming and going. So pray, make that a matter of prayer if you would. And uh, I want to mention the offering tomorrow night in its entirety will go towards Brother Drew Hay and his family. Now, they uh, when they first entered in evangelism at the beginning of last year, I said that I'd like them, if they could, to travel with me for a couple of years. And so they're about a year and a half into it, and they've been a great blessing. A lot of times he'll lead the singing, sometimes he'll uh, lead a choir, and, and uh, this week he's doing the children's meetings and preaches as much as we can get him to preach. And uh, he's a young man. He and Caitlin both are young men, young, a young couple with conviction and uh, with consecration. He was an assistant pastor for five years up in Pennsylvania, knowing that God had called him to an evangelism, uh, to evangelism, but he felt like he needed some uh, some local church ministry uh, experience and understanding that he didn't have. And so God led him almost six years up there, five and a half about, and uh, then led him into evangelism. And the Lord's provided in some amazing and unique and special ways. And so I'm thankful for that. So sometimes people say, well, how does that work on a on a particular night? The offering goes in its entirety towards him. Well, I don't I don't know if I can explain it, but it just does. And God's blessed it. We've had people travel with us since 2006 and we have traveled with people off and on. And that's the way it's worked. And so if you're saving a special night to give a special amount, give it tomorrow night. My family and I are always excited about uh, giving in the offering uh, to those that, that, that he allows us to travel, allows to travel with us. And so I'm excited about this and praying that God will use it and use it in a mighty way. Let's pause right now and pray and ask the Lord to bless our time in his word. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for the power of it, the truth of it. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for the life changing, uh, the life changing uh, glory of the word of God. Thank you that every word of God is pure. And you said that 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 your word is very pure. And we believe that we believe that from cover to cover. There's no mistakes and no need for a change in the Bible. And we thank you so much for the precious words that you've given to us. Now, Lord, you said that we won't be able to live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so, Lord, we're asking that through your word, you'd give life and quickening power and you'd change us. Lord, we need transformation. We need help tonight. I pray that you'd give us that help. And I thank you for what you're going to do and how you're going to do it. Because I ask this in Jesus' precious and wonderful and matchless name. Amen. I speak tonight somewhat tongue-in-cheek. But I want to speak tonight to make a very clear point from the Word of God. We're in Jonah in the Word of God. And Jonah tells us the amazing story of how God used Jonah in really an incredible way. In fact, we believe that this is one of the greatest revivals ever recorded in history. That Jonah, God would use him in such an incredible way to reach a, a, a group of people that were far gone and pagan. Most people would have given up on them, walked away from the Ninevites. Did you know that still today in Nineveh, there is a celebration and a memorial to the time when Jonah the preacher came so many centuries ago and preached and Nineveh was able to avoid the judgment of God. So tonight, for just a few moments, I want to preach to you this on the subject, how to be used of God, how to be used of God. Let's look and see from the story of Jonah, how we can be used of God. Let's look at it. Jonah chapter one, verse number one. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city and cry against it for their wickedness is come up before me. God came to Jonah and said, Jonah, I've got a job for you to do, and I want you to go and cry unto Nineveh and against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. Now, nobody wants to be against everyone. And I guarantee you, if you were in Jonah's shoes, you would not want to be against the Ninevites. Let me put this briefly in context. This would be like the Lord coming to you and saying, I want you to go to Afghanistan and cry against it. I want you to go to Saudi Arabia and cry against it. 
I want you to go to some of these Muslim countries and cry against it. That's what God was basically saying to Jonah. In essence, these were wicked people. They were terrorists to to say the least. They would rather kill you as to look at you. When they conquered a nation, oftentimes they would skin their subjects alive. Sometimes they would light them on fire and put them impaled on, on poles along the street, street to just, just keep the, the lights of the uh, city burning. They would, they would decapitate, they would dismember and do things that I can't even in a mixed company talk about. But the truth is, is that they were vile and wicked rebels against God, just like all mankind, but there seemed to express itself a little bit more obviously than others. And God said to Jonah, the preacher, go and cry against it. Now, Jonah was a preacher. Jonah had already prophesied and his prophecy had come true. It was a prophecy of blessing and God had used Jonah in a mighty way. So Jonah was a preacher. Jonah was experienced in seeking the Lord. He was well versed in understanding his responsibilities as a preacher. He knew that if he prophesied, it better come true or he was counted as a false prophet. And now God comes to Jonah and says, go cry against it. I've used you in a positive way. Now I want to use you in a way of judgment. It was actually a positive way, but sometimes you can't get to the positive unless you go through the negative. What did Jonah do? Look at what the text says, verse number three. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Watch this on a map. If you were to look, God wanted Jonah to go this way. You know where Jonah went this way. The exact opposite direction. So if we're going to use Jonah as the example tonight, if you're going to be used of God, number one, when God asks you to do something, go in the exact opposite direction. Find a ship. Pay the fare and get on a boat and do exactly opposite of what God says. If God tells you to, uh, to, to go and preach, don't go and preach. Go in the exact opposite direction. Get as far away as you can from the point that God has told you to do. And the point that God has told you to go. Do exactly opposite of what He tells you. I mean, we're preaching the Bible, so we're going to figure out how to be used of God. Number one, if you want to be used of God, when God tells you to do something, go in the exact opposite direction. Do exactly opposite of what He tells Tells you to do. And, and, and here, that's exactly what Jonah did. So we're going to follow Jonah's example and see how it works out. Verse number three, it says he rose up and he and he went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So if you're going to be used of God tonight, we want to understand exactly how we can be used of God. And we're following Jonah's example since God has given it to us. When God tells you to do something, you do the exact opposite. Go in the exact opposite direction of the destination God has pointed you to. But along the way, number two, you better be prepared to pay a heavy price. The scripture says he paid the fare thereof in verse number three. He went down into the ship. He, he, he went with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now, theologically, those of us that know the Bible and those of us that have studied the Bible know that's an absolute impossibility to flee from the presence of the Lord. But if we're following Jonah's example tonight, who's thinking theology and who cares exactly what the rest of the Bible says anywhere about God and who cares exactly what the Lord has said in the first place? Because remember, if you're going to be used of God, when God tells you to do something, you go in the exact opposite direction. Remember, if you're going to do that, you're going to have to pay a heavy price. Jonah thinks that his price ended at the ticket counter. He thinks that his price ended when he paid the fare. But no, no, it's going to be a much more costly ride. Verse four. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea and there was a mighty tempest in the sea so that the ship was like to be broken. Uh, Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship and he lay and was fast asleep. 
All right, we're trying to figure out how you can be used of God. I would venture a guess that most everybody in this room that's been saved and is walking with the Lord, or at least least trying to, would like God to use you. You'd like God to use you not just a little bit, but as much as possible in whatever life that you have left on this earth. So we want to figure that out. Jonah is going to be our teacher tonight. How are we going to be used of God? Number one, when God tells you to do something, go exactly opposite of what He tells you. Do exactly opposite of what He says. Go in the exact opposite direction of the destination that he tells you to go. Number two, along the way, expect to pay a heavy price. This was not a small price that he paid. It was a big price. He could have kept his shekels in his pocket and he could have gone in the direction that God told him and he could have used those shekels to do what God said. But now he's going in the exact opposite direction. And number three, find a comfortable place and sleep, sleep as much as you can. Because you're going to need it. Uh, you think that uh, you've got trouble in your life? Well, if you disobey God, you don't even know what trouble is until you disobey God. You haven't begun to fight out what trouble is until you begin to disobey God. You don't even know what stress and heartache is until you begin to disobey God. The Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. The Bible is very clear that when you disobey the Lord, you're going to have to pay a very heavy price. The scripture is clear in the book of Hebrews that you can either enter into his rest or you're going to be completely without rest. And so here Jonah is getting as much sleep as he can because you just never know when you disobey God what lies ahead. So if you're going to be used of God tonight and follow Jonah's example, then number one, when God tells you to go do a task and go preach to a group of people or go preach to a person and and cry against their sin, then go in the exact opposite direction. Number two, be prepared to pay a heavy price. Number three, get as much sleep as you can. He's fast asleep. Think of it. The scripture says in verse number four that there was a great wind and there was a mighty tempest in the sea so that the ship was like to be broken. We're not just talking about a skiff. We're not just talking about a little uh, raft. We're talking about a ship that shipmen would make, that shipmen would build, that shipmen knew how to build. We're talking about a ship that had a captain and sailors that knew the seas and they knew how to get from place to place. All of a sudden, here comes this mighty tempest. It wasn't on weather.com and it wasn't on their forecast and the weathermen didn't predict it and the horizons and all their metrics that they would use to tell whether or not a storm was brewing were not there. And you know why? Because God didn't reveal all those normal natural signs. He was going to send a tempest because Jonah was on that boat. Now Jonah's in the bottom of the boat and he is fast asleep. Look at what he's doing. Look at what while he's sleeping, what everybody else is doing. Then the mariners were afraid. Now, I don't know. I'm in the area of military, Air Force, Navy, sailors, Army, soldiers, Marines. Is mariner, is that is is that a kind of a, a, a source word for Marine? Is that where we get our word marine? Is it? I, I don't know. I don't know. But boy, I'll tell you, it would be a bad thing if those in the Air Force and those in the Navy and those in the Army ever found out because they would use that verse right there against the Marines for all the rest of their days. I'm just throwing that out there. Verse number five. It says, then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. Here you have strong men experienced at their task, men who know the seas and know the charts and know the currents and know the channels and they know the times best to sail and the times best to port. And what are they doing? They're crying out in despair, throwing everything that's heavy overboard. They're doing everything they can to save themselves. They are crying mightily unto their gods. And the scripture says they were afraid. So while the unsaved, heathen, pagan mariners are afraid, the backslidden, carnal preacher is asleep. While the unsaved pagans are calling out to their gods for relief, Jonah is fast asleep in the bottom of the boat. I don't know. Maybe this is the best way to be used of God. Jonah, when God told him to do something, he went in the opposite direction. You might try that sometime, but be prepared if you're going to do that to pay a heavy price. 
And you better get as much sleep as you can because you don't know what lies ahead. It's probably a good thing that Jonah's sleeping because he's got some really troubled waters ahead of him. He's got some difficult days ahead of him. Verse number five, it says they were afraid, but Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship and lay and was fast asleep. Maybe he found a place between the side of the ship and some crates so that no one would bother him, so that no light would get in. And he found he put his he put his ear AirPods in and he put his uh, sun blockers on and he went fast asleep. Finally, here comes the captain, verse number six. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God. If so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. Now, this is interesting because when he refers to Jonah's God, it's in capital letters. Call upon thy God. Again, when he refers to him, he says, if so be that God, he didn't say your God. He said that God will think upon us that we perish not. I mean, I think they had cried out to their gods and gone through all their rituals and none of them had given them anything but emptiness. Now he comes to Jonah and it's likely he knew who Jonah was. It's likely that people in that day do like people in this day and assess this person by the clothes that they wear and by the color, uh, uh, by the by the way that they carry themselves and by the words that they say and don't say and by where they say they're from. And listen to those conversations, it's likely the ca- captain of this ship uh, had had already profiled him and figured out where he was from. Maybe they already knew he was a, a Jew. Maybe they already knew he was a prophet. Maybe he told him. Maybe he was free and fast with his words and told him that he was running from God. Verse number seven. And they said, every one to his fellow, come and let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Fell upon Jonah. Then said they unto him, tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us. What is thine occupation and whence comest thou? What is thy country and of what people art thou? And he said unto him, I am an Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Wow. If you want to be used of God, like, like Jonah was used of God, then when God tells you to do something, go in the exact opposite direction. Forget it. Don't even think about it. I mean, look, whatever God wants you to do, his will can't be perfect. It can't be good. It can't be pure. I mean, anybody that's lived life any length of time and anybody that's lived at the tutelage of this old world knows that God's will is not perfect and it's not good and it's not pure. So whatever God wants you to do, go in the exact opposite direction. But you better be prepared to pay a heavy price and you better get sleep while you can because you've got some troubled waters up ahead. And then the scripture says that he was called to account. So number four, if you want to be used of God like Jonah, go in the exact opposite direction. Be prepared to pay a heavy price. Get as much sleep as you can, but be you better brace yourself for the shame of it all. Whenever I read verse number eight and it says, what is thine occupation? You know what I think of? Now, they don't do it as much now, but whenever I fly overseas, they give you a customs form or they used to. And you'd have to fill out those little boxes and you'd fill out your name, each letter there in a different box. And then you'd fill out your name and then they'd say occupation. And I'd always fill E-V-A-N-G-E-L-I-S-T. And I always think about this verse when I do that. Because what if I filled out that verse or that, that customs form and the stewardess had seen me drinking on the plane? What about that? What if I filled out evangelist and I had cussed the stewardess out or the flight attendant? What, what if I had, what if I had filled out evangelist and everybody around me heard me moaning and groaning and belly aching and complaining and griping and fussing at my wife and cussing at my kids? Evangelist. What shame. What shame accompanied Jonah down there in the belly of the boat? What shame accompanied him onto the seashore? Why, even an unsaved man knows what's expected of a saved man. And even an unsaved man knows that a prophet of all things and a prophet of God, no less, ought to be obedient to the Lord. And now the Lord told you to go to Nineveh and you're serving God and and you fear God. Well, we know where this storm came from now. I think that people innately and intuitively know that whatever idols they're worshiping at their their Catholic church or at their Mormon church or or at their Hindu temple or at their Buddhist temple or, or whatever the idol may be. I think they know intuitively that this whole thing is a sham. 
I think they know intuitively that these idols have eyes that cannot see and ears that cannot hear. The only reason they're going through the motions is either to please their parents or their grandparents or the family or the culture around them. Or they're going through the motions because they, they just think that's what you're supposed to do. And they don't know exactly how to break out of it. But intuitively, know, they know there's something wrong with their God, little G God. And they know there's only one true God because God has written his law in their hearts. And now they say, what is your occupation? He says, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you see an answer to their question in verse number nine? I am in Hebrew. That doesn't answer the question. What is your occupation? I fear the Lord, the God of heaven. That doesn't answer what's your occupation. Sounds like Jonah has a bothered conscience. So if you're going to be used of God like Jonah, when God tells you to do something, go in the exact opposite direction. If you're going to be used of God like Jonah, when God tells you to do something, go in the exact opposite direction. Be prepared to pay a heavy price. Get as much sleep as you can. You better brace yourself for shame and a bothered conscience. He didn't answer their question. He just said, this is my ethnicity. He said, I fear the Lord God. What well, sounds like he was really bothered in his spirit about this. And that's all he got out. Maybe he was going to tell him he was a prophet. Maybe he was going to tell him that he was on his way in a disobedient path. Verse 10. Then were the men exceedingly afraid and said unto him, why hast thou done this? You see the shame? You see the bothered conscience? For the men knew that he'd fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So apparently the story got out full way. Oh, he's got a bothered conscience. He's got great shame. And the shame is coming as a rebuke from the shipmaster and from these godless, idolatrous seamen. Verse number 11, then said they unto him, what shall we do unto thee that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea wrought and was tempestuous. And he said unto them, take me up and cast me forth into the sea. So shall the sea be calm unto you, for I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Now he's starting to feel some sense of responsibility. Now he's starting to come to himself. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to the land, but they could not, for the sea wrought and was tempestuous against them. Let me say something to you. Let me say something to you. There's a lot of talk today about storms. You know what I hear very little of? The fact that sometimes storms are God's chastening. You mark that down and you just make that mental note and observe it. Now, not all of God's storms are chastening. Sometimes God sends a storm like he did with Paul right there in Acts chapter 26 and 27. And the Euclidean came up, a hurricane out of nowhere. Sometimes God sends storms like he did with the disciples on the Sea of Galilee to teach a lesson. Sometimes God sends storms to divert our path and to help us to avoid further destruction and damage. Sometimes God shows storms to bear his mighty arm. But sometimes God sends storms as chastening. I believe this is one such storm. So, if you're going to be used of God like Jonah was used of God, when God tells you to do something, go in the opposite direction. Be prepared to pay a heavy price. You better get as much sleep as you can because there's trouble brewing. And you better brace yourself for shame and a bothered conscience. And are you ready? When, when, if you're going to be used like Jonah... Then number five, you better prepare for the storm of chastening. This storm was because Jonah was on the boat, because Jonah was disobedient, because Jonah was where he should not have been. And God was trying to get his attention. In verse number 14, wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, we beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man, man's life. And lay not upon us innocent blood, for thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from a raging. You know, right there, that's hope that Jonah is a true prophet of God. 
right there to all those shipmen and to all those seamen. They they were face to face with the reality of the one true God and that Jonah was telling them the truth for the first time so far in this passage. He's actually come to admit the truth. And so they threw him overboard. As soon as they threw him overboard, the waves calmed and the swells, the swells calmed and the clouds calmed and the storm calmed. Wow. Verse number 16, it says, Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. It may be that some of those men, even in the midst of Jonah's backslidden, chastened condition, were saved because they were face to face with their own helplessness and the almighty power of God and the reality that you can't slight him and, and expect anything but trouble. Verse 17, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. If you're going to be used of God like Jonah was, then when God tells you to do something, go in the exact opposite direction. Be be prepared to pay a heavy price or be ready to pay a heavy price. Brace yourself or get as much sleep as you can. Brace yourself for shame and a bothered conscience. And if you're going to be used of God like Jonah, be prepared to weather a chastening storm. But, but since we're on a roll, why don't we just go a little further? If you're going to be used of God like Jonah was used of God, then then number six. You better pack bags For an unexpected stay in an unexpected place. You better pack bags for an unexpected stay in an unexpected place. You say, what do you mean? Well, Jonah wasn't expecting to stay in the belly of a fish. A great fish. The Bible says right here that this was a great fish that God had prepared to swallow up Jonah. Now, there's an interesting study just looking at Jonah and seeing what God prepared. God prepared in chapter 1, He prepared a storm. In chapter 1, He prepared a great fish. He comes in chapter number uh, 3, or chapter 4, and He prepares a gourd. And then He prepares a worm. God used just all of those object lessons in Jonah's life. I don't know who's doing the object lesson around here right now, but there you go. That's a pretty good lesson right there from Jonah. But watch now. Watch. God prepared Jonah a great fish. And you know, I would say there are some things worse than dying. You know, if somebody were smart, they'd preach a message on that from the Bible. There are some things worse than dying. This might be one of them. Uh, There's some things worse than dying. Here's old rebel Absalom rebelling against his dad and committing treason against Israel and against his own father. And he leads a whole rally of rebellion against him. And he commits immorality with his father's concubines. And he thinks he's all hot stuff. And then when the battle gets heated, he convinces all his men to do his bidding. And he gets on a donkey and runs right through an oak thicket. And his long, hippie rebel hair gets caught up in an oak thicket. And the mule walks on and now old Absalom is hanging by his long rebel hippie hair. I'd say this would be something worse than dying. (laughs) How do you get down from there? Uh, What are you going to do now? Uh, old Haman, eh? old Haman, uh, he, he thinks he's all s- s- really the, the best thing since sliced bread. And, 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 and boy, here he comes with all of his, his entourage and all of his arrogance. He expects everybody to bow. And the one person in that won't just gets in his crawl, old Mordecai. So he plots to kill Mordecai and all the Jews. And when he does, he has no idea that Esther, the new queen, is one of those Jews. And then the queen invites him, only him and the king over to a special banquet at her house. Boy, he thinks he's all hot and everything's great. And he goes over to that banquet and boy, he's clipping and singing, singing a, a great song as he clips on his way home, gets home, tells his family everything's fine. And I and the king alone were invited to an exclusive banquet at the queen's house. But none of that means anything to me as long as I see that good old good for nothing Mordecai. He says, what should I do? And his wicked wife says, prepare some gallows. So he says, that's a great idea, honey. And so he prepares some gallows and goes right back to the king and requests to request uh, that Mordecai be hung on those gallows as the first of all these wicked scoundrel Jews. And what does what does the king do? The king asked that that he would uh, give him some counsel. He said, what should be done to the man that 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 I delight to honor? 
And Mordecai or Haman, Haman says, well, if, if I were you, and he's thinking, who would he want to honor more than me? If I were you, I'd get the king's horse. And the king says, yeah. And he says, then he says, I want you to put, put the person on the horse that you want to honor and let somebody lead that person all throughout the city and say, this will be done to the man the king delights to honor. Have him wear the robe and have him wear the crown and, and it'll be a great thing. And the king says, well, I'm glad I got you around. You're the brains of this operation. And Haman says, well, if I don't say so myself, he says, go get my horse. He says, yeah, and go get get my robe uh huh, and go get my crown really and go get Mordecai he says this is coming together great he said put the robe and crown on Mordecai and put him on the horse and you lead him through the city say this is going to be the one what will be done to the man the king delights to honor I'd say just that right there is just about worse than dying wow something's worse than dying and I'd say being in the belly of a great fish would be one of them He doesn't have a cell phone he can whip out and his light he can turn on and look around. He doesn't have a lighter that he can whip out and look around. And if he did, it probably wouldn't be any good anyway. And here he is in the belly of a fish. Ooh. If you're going to be used of God like Jonah was used of God, you better pack for an unexpected stay in an unexpected place. And I guarantee you it's not going to be where you choose. I guarantee you Airbnb doesn't have it on its list. I guarantee you it's not going to be some place that you're going to enjoy. Here he is now in the belly of the fish and he's swimming around the ocean. How would that work? Well, at one moment it might feel like a roller coaster. At one moment it might feel like incredible pressure. At one moment, it might feel like total despair. Let's just see what it feels like. Verse number one. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord. And he heard me out of the belly of hell, cried I, and thou heardest my voice. For thou hast cast me into the deep in the midst of the sea and the floods compassed me about all thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Can you imagine every time that fish opened its mouth to get a new crop of kelp or a new crop of fish or a new crop of whatever? Can you imagine those fish coming down? Can you imagine the digestive juices working back and forth? And here he is trying to push against the inner, in the, the small intestine of this big fish. Can you imagine what it'd be like? Verse number four. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight. Yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. Listen to me. If you're going to be used of God like Jonah was used of God, then you better you better uh, prepare for despair. Look at it, what it says in verse four. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight. Hey, there's no place of despair worse than a place where you're out of the will of God. He's right here away from God, thinking that he can go on a ship and get away from God. And God says, you want the ship venue? You want the water atmosphere? I've got something specially created just for you. Uh, you, You want to disobey me? You want to disregard my word? I've got something just for you. Look at what he says in verse number five. The waters compassed me about even to the soul. The depth closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped about my head. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Can you imagine? I'm never getting out of here. I'm going to die a slow death here. Uh, There's nobody that can hear me cry out for help here. There's nothing that can be done here. There's no there's no recourse here. Would you like to see my phone? Should I show you my phone tonight? Should I show you the the text thread that I have with a former preacher who disregarded God and disobeyed the Lord and disqualified himself from ministry and has lost everything good that he once had? That his wife and children now scorn him. Now, I don't think their reaction is any better than his initial disobedience. But right now, he feels in a place of despair and doesn't think there's any way out and that there's any hope. Now, I think that if he'll walk with God and he'll seek the Lord, somehow there'll be light at the end of the tunnel. But he sure can't see it right now. Would you like to see that conversation? You think that disobeying God is cute? You think that disregarding God's Word is alright? You think that when God tells you to do something, you can go in the opposite direction and actually prosper? Would you like to see this? 
Would you like to see the midnight hour text that I get and the middle of the night text that I get where he can't sleep? And in fact, in the early days, he said, tell the whole world that sin doesn't pay. It costs. Would you like to see that? That's where he's at. Right now, right where Jonah was. And do I think he can be used of God? Sure. Do I think he'll ever be able to pastor again? No. Do I think he'll ever be able to be used like he once was? No. My wife and I were in services with him in churches where there was the sweet presence of God that came down. Probably more than any other church at at least the top ten. And forfeit all that for your own stubborn way. Forfeit all that for your own little fling. For your own little bit of pleasure. You, You think it's okay? Sin never pays. It always costs. And here in verse number 6, he's down. The bars are wrapped about him forever. Verse number 7, When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. Now I'm glad to report tonight that if you'll get right with God, He'll come back. That you're not too far gone to be be able to get right with God. You, You know, the number one thing that really matters is your heart. Not your outside, your inside, your heart. The part that only you and God see. That's the part that really matters. And, and, and yes, it has an effect on the outside. But that's what God's aiming for. That's what God wants. Your heart. And, and God wants to bring you back. You, you've disobeyed the Lord. You've disregarded God. You've gone down your own stubborn way. I can tell you that you can come back. Not every preacher believes that. I've been studying for, for a book I've been writing and, and it's shocking to me to see some preachers that don't believe it. I, I, I studied and found a, a nationally known preacher in fundamental circles preach in 1978 in a gathering of about 11,000 preachers and their wives and said it's a waste of time to pray for a national revival because America is apostate and it's done. Put a fork in it. That's basically what he said. 1978. Here's a man training preachers. Well, I don't want that unbelief. I don't want that fatalism. Too bad for him. And I'm, it was too bad that it wasn't until he died and got to heaven that he figured out that was the wrong philosophy. I want to say that if you're far gone, you can get right with God. Even if you're in the belly of a whale in a place that you weren't expecting to stay. Right here in the belly of this whale. He wasn't expecting to stay here. He wasn't expecting to be here. But here he is. And then what does the Scripture say? He's in a place of despair. If you're going to do, be used of God the way Jonah was, then you better prepare for despair. And the verse number 4 says, Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. Verse number 7, When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came in unto thee, into thine holy temple. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. Oh, that passage is pregnant with truth. Verse 9, But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. You know what Jonah did right there? He got up. Now, I don't know how you get up in a... I don't know how you stand up in, a belly's, in the belly of a fish. But he figured it out. He got up. You see, getting up isn't an exactly a posture. You might be flat on your back with back problems and God puts you there and to teach you some lessons. You might be fat, flat on your back in a hospital bed and you can't get up. But you can get up on the inside. Right there he got up. Right there. He said, when my soul fainted within me, I remember the Lord. Verse number nine, I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. You know what he's doing? He's putting his hope back in God. He's getting right with God. I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to say, God, I'm thankful even though I don't understand this situation. I'm thankful that you love me enough that you care. The Bible says, whom the Lord loves, he chastens. And whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. And scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. You know what a blessing is? It's a blessing to know that God chastens those he loves. He doesn't chasten unbelievers. Unbelievers aren't his. They aren't his children. But those who are his children, he takes seriously that responsibility. So if you're experiencing the chastening hand of God, you know this, God loves you. Listen to the scripture in the book of Ephesians, or excuse me, the, the message to the Laodiceans. He said, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Praise God for that. Verse number 10, it says, verse 9, salvation is of the Lord. And it was at that moment when he got up that the Lord decided that the, that the, the fish had had enough. And the Lord decided this trial was through. And he decided that Jonah was ready. And the fish decided he would throw up. When Jonah got up, the fish decided to throw up. Look at verse number 10. And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. 
What a sight that was. I wonder if there were any beachgoers right there. I wonder if there were any fishermen right there. Boy, you can imagine, boy, if people had phones back then, that would have gone viral. Wow. And boy, I wonder what Jonah looked like. I wonder what kind of effect the sea, uh, the, the sea, this sea creature, this, this fish had and his stomach acids had on Jonah's beautiful head of black Jewish hair. I wonder what kind of effect it had on his skin. I wonder if it ever went away. I wonder what he looked like after three days and three nights in the belly of the deep. Verse number one of chapter three, it says, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go into Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. Are you ready? If you're going to be used of God, you better get up. Jonah was used of God. Well, we're, we're trying to follow his path. So if we're going to follow Jonah's path, then first of all, when God tells you to do something, go in the exact opposite direction. Just go in the total opposite direction. Then number two, you better be prepared to pay a heavy price. And then number three, you better get as much sleep as you can because you've got a troubled way ahead. And then number four, you better brace yourself for, for shame and compromise. And then you better pack for a place you didn't expect to be and for a stay you didn't expect to have. And then if you're going to be used to God like Jonah, you better prepare for despair because it's coming. And then if you're going to be used of God like Jonah, you better figure out how to get up. God's not going to use you till you get up. Jonah could have died in that, that place, but he got up. You get up. One humble word at a time. One honest admission at a time. That's how you get up. It's not difficult and complicated to get up. You get up humbly and you get up honestly and you get up believing God. He got up through humble, honest faith. Again, he believed God. In verse number four, he says, I will look again towards thy holy temple. Excuse me. How did he know which way that was? He didn't have the moon to guide him. He didn't have the north star to guide him. He didn't have the sunrise and the sunset to guide him. He didn't have a compass. He didn't have all the metrics you would normally use. But, you know, I don't think God is looking for a particular direction of your of your posture. He's looking for a particular direction of your heart. He said, I'm looking towards you, Lord. I'm praying towards you. I'm seeking you. And he believed God. He says, salvation is of the Lord. He got up. All right. If you're going to be used of God like Jonah, you got to move clip, clip along. Then be listening for God's second chance. How many of you are glad God's a God of the second chance? Whew, I am. And a God of the third chance and a God of fourth. I might be the only one here, but I'm dense. Sometimes I can't hear what the Lord's saying because I'm dense. I'm thinking about other things and doing other things. And I want to be sensitive to him. And I want to hear from him. And I want to be so in tune with him that all I need is that still small voice like Samuel in First Samuel chapter number two and three and four. I, I want to be so sensitive to him that all I need is that nudge like like Philip the evangelist in Acts chapter eight. I want to be sensitive to him. Oh boy, there's a lot of things clamoring for our attention today, aren't there? Just clamoring. Get us right. We can wake up. And I mean, we can wake up, open our phone, look at the news and boy, you're off and going without really taking time to seek the Lord and spend time with the Lord. Hey, if you're going to be used of God like Jonah, then you better listen for his second chance. For the second time he comes. What do you suppose he said? Verse number one. The word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time saying, Arise, go into Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. He's saying the same thing. His message hasn't changed. I've got a plan for you. I want you to go preach. I want you to go do what I've told you to do. Verse number three. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. So if you want to be used of God like Jonah, obey God. Maybe you didn't obey him the first time, but at least obey him the second time. Peter didn't obey him the first time, took his eyes off of Jesus, but he obeyed him the second time. He, he got his eyes off Jesus a little later and said, I go a fish and I give up. And yet God came to him and Jesus met him. I'm so glad that God's a God of the second chance. I'm glad that for Samson's sake, God's a God of the second chance. Samson was a lughead and went off his own way, but God came to him again. I'm glad of God. Our, our God is a God of the second chance. Verse number three, he arose and went into Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. That's going to be a journey. 
to get there. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days journey. And Jonah began to enter into that city a day's journey. And he cried and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That was his message. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Eight words. Someday I'd love to figure out how to preach an eight word message. And I'm sure some of you would like me to figure that out too. Eight words. That was his message. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And we're going to read from a few moments. We're going to read uh, how that's what he expected. He said, God said, preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. You want to be used of God? Then obey him. Just obey him. Okay, you failed the first time. You don't have to fail the second time. Failure the second time doesn't, uh, doesn't, uh, uh, doesn't trump or make better the failure of the first time. In other words, what got you into this mess isn't going to get you out of this mess. And another way to say it is, another stupid decision isn't going to help rectify the first stupid decision. Am I, are you picking up what I'm putting down tonight? Is anybody hearing what I'm saying tonight? You see, Jonah just decided, I'm going to do things God's way this time. And thank God for it. Well, when he preached that, guess what he found out? That God was exactly who he said he was. That God knew better than he did. And that God had a plan for these Ninevites. And that he loved them. And that he'd forgive them if they'd turn to the Lord. Verse number five. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them, even to the least of them. For word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him, and covered him with sackcloth, and sat in ashes, and he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? And God saw their works. That they turned from their evil way. And God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them. And he did it not. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that when I was in Bible college, I dreamed of. This right here. This is the kind of stuff that in Bible college we prayed for. This is the kind of stuff that since I've been out in the ministry, I've gotten down on my knees with fellow preachers in preachers meetings and just in, in offices somewhere in studies in, 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 in preachers homes. I've gotten out and begged God to do this. Maybe, maybe we've been going about it all wrong. Maybe we've been surrendering to the Lord. Maybe what we need to do is do it like Jonah. When God tells us to do something, we'll just go in the exact opposite direction. Maybe that's what we need to do. Maybe instead of uh, uh, following the Lord's will the first time, maybe what we need to do is brace for a, a pretty high price. Maybe we need to maybe we need to brace for shame and a and a bothered conscience. Maybe we need to get as much sleep as we can. Maybe we need to prepare for despair. I I don't know. But God used Jonah in a pretty big way. Now, Jonah wasn't even right with God. You can read chapter 4 when you get home tonight. Jonah was hoping that God would judge Nineveh. I mean, when he preached, 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And it couldn't come soon enough. He's low down, dirty, rotten pagans. I hope God zaps them. Just like James and John prayed that God would zap somebody. Jesus says, you don't even know what spirit you are of. Mm. Uh, Jonah wasn't even wanting them to be forgiven. And when God did forgive him, Jonah said, I knew it, 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 I knew it. I knew you'd do this, I knew you'd forgive him. I mean, we read Jonah and we say, he must have had some kind of deep-seated anger. Some terrible, awful bitterness. He wanted God to judge them. And he was arguing with God the whole way and having this high highs and low lows just because he had a little bit of shade from the sun when the worm came up and destroyed the gourd. He was upset about that. In verse number, in verse number nine of chapter number four, God said to Jonah, doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry even unto death. 
Jonah was praying for death, for his own death. Why? Because, because he was in such a bad way. It's like he was out of the will of God, and then he was in the will of God, and then he was out of the will of God. That's Jonah in a nutshell. He was out of the will of God, and, and a few people got saved, or close to God anyway, the shipmaster and the sailors. Then he was in the will of God, and a whole bunch of people got saved. And then he was out of the will of God because he was mad about it, and he was angry and despairing even unto death. Jonah, wow, what a piece of work, huh? Verse number 10, it says, Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd, for the which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle? In that city, there were 120,000 people. What, what is the age when you know the difference between your right hand and your left? Three, four. 120,000 people, four years old and younger. God said, I don't want to destroy Nineveh. I want to spare Nineveh. And that's the way the whole chapter and the whole book ends. Now, here's a couple thoughts before we go. Obviously, what I've been preaching tonight has largely been tongue in cheek. But it gives us some time to think, doesn't it? Here is Jonah, a preacher that didn't deserve to be used. And Nineveh, a people that didn't deserve to be forgiven. And God used Jonah and he forgave Nineveh. You know what that does? That encourages me that there's hope for America. That if God used Nineveh and Jonah, maybe He can use me. That preacher that didn't deserve to be used and a people that didn't deserve to be forgiven, yet God used Jonah and He forgave Nineveh. You know what else it accentuates to me? There are literally scores and hundreds of scores and scores of thousands of people around the world who haven't heard. Who's going to go to them? I was sitting at lunch today with Pastor and others, and I said, we need 50 churches right now in D.C. And surrounding suburbs. In Minneapolis and St. Paul, both cities, the twin cities of 300,000 people each, there is in St. Paul maybe three and Minneapolis maybe three churches. And the total of those churches is no more than 600 people in all six of them. L.A. has three million people. I was preaching in San Francisco or San Leandro, California, and a man who's got a daughter at the UCLA campus said, do you know of a good church inside L.A. or close to the UCLA campus? He said, all the churches I've looked up that are Bible-believing Baptist churches are 30 to 45 minutes away. And that's just a lot when you've got a school schedule. So I said, you know, I don't know of any, but, but, but my knowledge isn't everything. I'll call. So I called some preacher friends of mine in the L.A. area and in the area. And one preacher, Lighthouse Baptist Church there in L.A. or in San, San, in um, Laverne, he said, Dwight, I do not know of one church inside L.A. that is a Bible preaching fundamental Baptist church. Three million people. And what about New York? And what about Seattle? And what about Miami? Three million people in L.A. And you know what they've done? The same thing you did today. They got up. They got dressed. They ate breakfast. They went to work. They came back home. They're getting ready to go to bed. And they've done that day after day and night after night. And no one to tell them. No one to stand in their way and give them a track. No one to preach the gospel. How many generations have gone by when this is the case? Who's going to go? 
Now, I know a lot of people, they'll say, oh, California, the best thing we could do, let just let it just drop into the ocean. Oh, yeah, that's fine, and that sounds good when you're trying to pass red meat to your political friends. But I want to say, that's a terrible, rotten attitude for a Christian. When there are millions in California that are lost and perishing, who's going to go? Who's going to go? And why are we waiting for a call? Why are we waiting for some God, our God, to write it in the sky? Why are we waiting for some airplane to form the clouds with a verse of Scripture? Why are we waiting when God said, go? You don't need a call. You don't need a call. William Booth said, William Booth said, you want a call? Put your ear down to the ground and hear the cries of hell. That'll be your call. Put your ear to the Bible and hear the words of Jesus when He said, go. That'll be your call. What do we need? Why do we need more? How many times does God have to give us a message? And we say, oh yeah, that's good for somebody else. Oh yeah, that's good for somebody else's kids. Oh yeah, that's maybe good for somebody else, but not for me. Maybe what we ought to do is just do like Jonah. If we're going to be used of God, when God tells us to do something, we just go in the exact opposite direction and prepare for all that He had to go through. Or, when God tells us to go, we just go. Would you bow with me in prayer? Lord, speak to our hearts and forgive us for our laziness, our lethargy. Forgive us for sleeping in the bottom of the boat while the whole world is bailing for their lives and desperately crying out to their God for answers. Forgive us, Lord Jesus, when there are people right around the corner who have lived near us and next to us and we have not reached out in some form or fashion to try to point them to the cross and away from an eternal damnation in hell. Dear God, I pray that you would light a fire once again in my heart and in the hearts of these dear people and the hearts of this church and the hearts of people all across this country to begin to live for eternity instead of the, for the temporal uh, assuaging of our fears. Lord, do something and use us to reach this generation with the gospel. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I, I preach the burden of my heart tonight. And I preach what I know God wanted me to preach. I wonder if there's someone here who said, Preacher, I'm like Jonah. God's told me to go. God's told me to do. And I'm doing exactly opposite. And I don't want that. Maybe right now you're in the middle of the belly of the fish. In the storm of chastening. You said, Preacher, I don't want that. God has captured my attention tonight and I'm going to turn and I'm going to go and do what God tells me to do. If that's you, would you slip up your hand right now? Slip it up high. God bless you. Good. Good. Praise the Lord. Maybe you're here and you're in the place of despair. You say, preacher, I don't know what it means, but I'm going to get up. I don't know exactly how, but I'm going to get up. With God's help, I'm going to get up and get right with God. Anybody like that? Slip up your hand. Say, preacher, pray for me. God bless you. I don't know if anybody here is called to go to L.A., but I know that we're called to go right around the corner. And I don't know that you'll clearly hear the call to go to some far off place if you don't go around the corner. I wonder if God's spoken to you about your neighbors, your co-workers, your family members. You said, preacher, God's burdened me to go with the gospel and the message of reconciliation to those nearest me tonight. If that's you, would you slip up your hand? Slip it up high. Don't be ashamed. God bless you. Good. Okay. How many here tonight can say, Preacher, without doubt, I know I'm saved. There's some things I'm unsure of, but I know I'm saved. If you don't know that, don't raise your hand. But if you do, would you just slip your hand up high? Preacher, I know that I'm saved. I'm sure that I'm on my way to heaven. Thank you. May put your hands down. Is there anyone here tonight that said, Preacher, I don't know that. I'm like those pagan seamen and sailors on the boat. I'm crying out to my own God, but I don't have the assurance in my soul that I'm saved and I need it. If that's you, would you slip up your hand? Is there anybody here like that? Pray for me, preacher. I need to be saved. Pray for me. I don't know that I'm going to heaven when I die. And I want to know anyone at all. Slip up your hand. Put it right back down. God bless you. Is there anyone else? Preacher, pray for me. I don't know, but I need to know anyone else. Slip up your hand. Put it right back down. All right, if you just raised your hand and said, Preacher, I don't know that I'm saved, but I need to know and I want to know. Would you look right up at me for just a moment? Did you mean that? All right, in a moment we're going to stand and I'm going to do what I said I would do. I'm going to pray for you. But you've got to make a personal choice to come to Jesus. And as soon as the pianist begins playing an invitation song, I just want you to leave your seat and come take Pastor by the hand and say, Pastor, I need to be saved. 
He'll have someone help you to Jesus. I want to say this to you. It's the most important decision you could ever make. And the best time to make it is tonight. I want to urge you to do it on the first note of our song. Let's stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the example of Jonah, even though sometimes it gives us a negatives and what not to do. Lord, I pray that you'd use us. Our time is so short. Jesus, you could come tonight. And if you came, I'm afraid so many would be ashamed to meet you at your coming. Oh, Lord, I pray for this one that needs to be saved. Give him courage to come. And I pray for others that need to get right. Lord, help us if we're down in the belly of the fish to get up by getting right. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. The altar.